Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Listeners, my name is Michael Heltzinger. If this is your first time tuning into Murky Waters, welcome to this series where I interview shark scientists from all corners of the world to learn about these fascinating animals. On today's episode, I dive deep into the immune system of sharks and how sharks, the unlikeliest of candidates, could potentially become our saviors in the future. You may have heard of how bacteria have been able to build a resistance to most antibiotics, and this is becoming one of the biggest problems health-wise in today's world. So scientists are currently researching the antibodies of sharks as an alternative strategy against bacterial infections. To learn more about this research and what scientists are doing now, I talk with Gabriela Constana martinez who is a biologist with a deep interest in biotechnology and molecular biology. Gabby is currently completing a PhD looking at urinary tract infections and shark antibodies. Without further ado, let's dive into this interview with Gabby. Hola, Gabby. Hola, Michael. Great to have you on the show as our guest today. Before we get started, Gabby, could you please introduce yourself and tell the listeners what got you into studying sharks and why? Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Gabby, or Cons, as some people call me as well. And I'm currently doing a PhD in molecular biology at the Trove University in Melbourne, Australia. And I guess the reason why I started doing this particular research is because I studied biology in Mexico City. And ever since I started studying biology, I just had this thing towards marine sciences and particularly sharks. I cannot really explain why I happen to get so much into sharks. I just always like them. When I did my bachelor back in Mexico, I tried to find something where I could merge two particular areas that I really like, which are uh, biotechnology and marine sciences. And that happened to be something called marine biotechnology. And I was really excited. That was a thing. So on the final year of my bachelor degree, when I had to do what is called as honors, I managed to do a research in northern Mexico at a research institute where I was doing precisely that, marine biotechnology. And I was lucky enough to work in an amazing team that was working specifically with shark antibodies. Mm-hmm. And I think that pretty much became really interesting to me because I could do these two things, biotechnology, but with um marine sciences as well and more specifically with sharks awesome gabby and what was this interest in shark antibodies in particular it all started because i remember i told my mom that i was going to go elsewhere to study marine sciences 
And I started looking at topics that would be interesting enough. And as you know, marine sciences, it's just a massive area and it's just so broad. Mm -hmm. And when I started narrowing my options towards biotechnology, um, I think shark antibodies were becoming more of a thing back when I started searching. Mm -hmm. And I think I kind of like just became fixed with the idea. And I just thought, yep, I'm just going to. I'm going to park here. Shark antibodies is my thing. And I would really like to start working with them. So that was pretty much how, yeah. And that is basically what you're doing your PhD about. So could you tell us a little about your work with antibodies and what you're studying in your PhD in Australia? So what I am doing in particular in my PhD is that I am focused on urinary tract infections. Mm -hmm. And basically what we're trying to do is just understand how bacteria allow the establishment of a urinary tract infection mm -hmm. in order to develop new therapeutical alternatives against these bacterial infections. Mm -hmm. So I'm currently focused into working with bacterial proteins that collaborate in the establishment of these infections. And we're trying to find ways to block these particular proteins. So with this research and your focus on urinary tract infections, why particularly UTIs? Is it because that particular bacteria has built a resistance to antibiotics and the common treatment? Yes, spot on, actually. That's why we're working with them. So the thing with UTIs is, is that they're an extremely common bacterial infection. There's um, about 150 million cases reported every year worldwide bacteria have developed resistance against pretty much all antibiotics. Antibiotics are at the moment the only treatment. And it's actually really interesting when you start talking about these UTIs to just, you know, common people or people around you, friends, family. There's so many people that have been diagnosed with at least one UTI in their life. And, you know, everybody knows about them. Everybody talks about them. And it's a really big problem now because they're so common and we don't have a proper treatment against them anymore. So that means that if people do have a UTI and they don't really consider them as an extremely dangerous infection and they don't try to, you know, follow a proper treatment or anything, mm -hmm. that could lead to very serious consequences. So there's people dying of UTIs at the moment, which is probably something that is becoming scarier because the less treatments that we have the stronger this bacteria will become and the more cases we're going to have that we're not going to have an answer on how to treat them yeah that is really scary i didn't know how serious utis were especially because i didn't know this resistance i have heard from doctors and other people talking about bacteria building a resistance but i guess i didn't know a timeline and the severity yeah. that it can be. It's yep. insane, actually, that, um, you know, should all these bacterial resistance um, against antibiotics continues, that potentially by 2050, more people are going to die from bacterial infections per year mm -hmm. than patients with cancer or HIV. So yeah, it is becoming probably one of the biggest problems of today's world health-wise. Hence, us trying to find a solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good on you, Gabby. I think we need more people looking for alternative solutions, especially if antibiotics aren't doing what they're meant to do. Um, could you explain to the listeners 
how antibodies work, like how we have antibodies in our body, how they resist and fight bacteria infections like this? I guess many of us have heard of the word antibody before. Mm-hmm. And antibodies are pretty much just the molecules that help us attack any threatening elements that can get into our organisms, be it viruses or bacteria, etc. And what happens when these threatening agents come into our body is that uh, we've got this group of cells that are called B cells. And these B cells are sent to any affected areas or sent towards any threatening agent that is in there. Mm -hmm. And they're going to start unleashing these antibody molecules. So pretty much what happens is that one B cell can make a certain type of antibody. And then if it turns out to be that it's protective, then it's just going to start expanding and creating more of these particular antibodies that are protecting against your organisms. Mm-hmm. It's just bombarding of these B cells that are producing these antibodies. And then these antibodies are going to start binding to these threatening agents that mm-hmm. we call antigens. They're going to start blocking their effect or their function. And we've got different type of antibodies on our body. The main one is called IgM. Mm-hmm. And that one can switch into other types like the IgG, which is the one that is going to fight viruses, IgA, which is pretty much sent off to, to fight uh, bacteria, um, IgEs, which um, trigger inflammation and whatnot. So it's like this, this little war happening inside of your body every time there's a threatening agent. Yeah, that's, <laughs> hope that's easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think that was a real nice simplistic definition of antibodies for us. Why do we and like humans need antibodies from other animals? Are, are antibodies not sufficient enough to fight these infections and viruses and bacteria? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's something that we get asked all the time. Like, why do you need something from a shark mm-hmm. for a human? And I guess... The interesting thing about this, and this is where it gets really exciting, mm-hmm. is that sharks are known, not, not only sharks, but elasmobranchs or cartilaginous species are pretty much the oldest phylogenetic group from an evolutionary perspective that will have a modern human type adaptive immune system. So that pretty much means that sharks, just as us, have all the elements of our immune system, including what we call the major histocompatibility complex and antibodies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that there's one particular antibody in sharks, which is very different to all antibodies that have been found in humans. So usually antibodies have two sets of chains. They always mm-hmm. have something that is called a heavy chain and a light chain, and they're together pretty much making an antibody. Mm -hmm. In the case of this particular shark antibody, the Ignar, it's only one heavy chain. So there's only what we call five constant regions Mm -hmm. and one variable region times two, which is what we call a homodimer. Two heavy chains together, Mm -hmm. total 10 constant regions and two variable regions. Mm -hmm. The thing with this Ignar is that because it doesn't have the light chain, it's a much smaller antibody and because it's much smaller mm-hmm. it can pretty much access areas that bigger antibodies wouldn't be able to so our main focus of interest in this ignar is the variable region of the antibody and the variable region has two areas 
that we call CDR1 and TDR3 that are elongated. So imagine if you had a fork-like structure at the end of your antibody. Mm -hmm. And because it's fork-like, it means it's longer. And that means that it can access crevices or smaller areas that bigger antibodies wouldn't be able to. So that means that mm -hmm. you have a higher range of antigens that you can block in this particular case. Mm -hmm. And then the other really interesting about this, like it's just that the marbles of this little antibody don't end. Um, it's also <laughs> temperature stable and it's also chemically stable. So you can work with it at very different temperatures, including really high temperatures or very different pH ranges, including mm -hmm. quite acidic pH ranges. And the antibody doesn't really lose its function or its structure. So it's really versatile. And I guess that's why scientists started using it as an alternative. Mm -hmm. um, they're small, they're resistant. And in a sense, once you know how to express them and purify them properly, in a sense, they're also fairly easy and straightforward to express and purify. Mm -hmm. So it's not a really complicated process. And yeah, I guess it's not necessarily that humans don't really have something that maybe sharks may have. Mm -hmm. But I guess in this particular case is that they have this little molecule that is really versatile, really useful. And that's why I think everyone is just turning to look at it and deciding to use it as an alternative to treat different diseases. That's really interesting. So it's the Ignar antibody, the one that you're talking about, and that benefits sharks, and that's why we're interested in it. Do like, all species of sharks have it, and are there any other animals other than elasmobranchs and sharks that have it as well? Well, it was first discovered in a theorem of nurse sharks, mm -hmm. and we are working with shark antibodies from Wobegon sharks in here. Oh, from Wobegon. Um, yeah, the no. wobbies. <laughs> I love them. They're so nice. <laughs> yeah, no, they're beautiful. I've just grown up uh, with wobbing gongs. <laughs> oh, really? No, I always get excited when I see one underwater. So. <laughs> they're so cool. Yeah, such interesting uh, sharks. It's really cool to say, yeah, I work with um, shark antibodies from wobbing sharks. <laughs> yeah. And in northern Mexico, we were working from shark antibodies from a shark called the horn shark. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Port Jackson sharks. Horn sharks are pretty much their Mexican cousins or their cousins on that side of the world. They're no. fairly similar, mm -hmm. same heterodontia family, mm -hmm. uh, but just slightly different physically speaking. Those are the only ones that I've worked with and the species where they were first discovered, but they've been discovered in other species. So I would dare say that pretty much all the Lasmobranchs should have this Ignar mm -hmm. in their system. Mm -hmm. And funnily, Sharks are not the only organisms that have them. It's also camelids. So yeah. llamas, alpacas, and camels as well. Mm -hmm. It's not called the ignar or vinar in this case. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got a different name. But uh, interestingly, they also have a fairly similar type of antibody, which is also a single chain antibody. That's incredible. So camels and other animals outside of sharks, through the evolutionary path developed these antibodies it's just coincidental that they have similar antibodies yeah exactly i think it's just evolutionary speaking there was a point when they may have a certain common ancestor they produced this set of antibodies and mm -hmm. then they diverged into different organisms and on the topics of sharks and their antibodies 
How do you, in your research, collect a sample of antibodies? Is it something you take from a tissue sample? I'm guessing it'd be from from a blood sample. Yes, there's different ways that you can do it. You can immunize the animal. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, when you immunize the animal, you can sort of like force the spleen to start producing these antibodies. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means, though, that you would have to kill the animal so that you can extract the spleen and then extract all these antibodies. Mm -hmm. Or you can bleed the animal. So you can just take some blood samples, which I reckon, in a sense, is better. Uh, In our particular case, I didn't do that part of the research, but what they did is they went to the Melbourne Aquarium, they -hmm. explained, they borrowed a Wobegon shark, they took some blood samples, and they develop a whole library of shark antibodies out of that blood sample. That's nice mm-hmm. because that means no sharks were harmed in the development of this study. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it's basically a synthetic nanobody library, is that right? Yep. Oh, that's really cool. So then if the treatment is successful and this proves to work and that it is a, a viable alternative to antibiotics, you can just expand, proliferate that library for wider uses? Yeah, and that's something that we've been thinking about. So the good thing is that in a library, you have many of these different variants of the shark antibody. And the good thing is that whenever you're trying it against a certain antigen, you narrow it down until you find which specific one of these shark antibodies are recognized in the particular antigen that you're working with. Mm -hmm. But that means that you've got a pool of many other ones out there that didn't necessarily recognize your antigen, but might recognize others. Mm-hmm. So something that we've discussed is that in the event that this treatment became successful at some point in the future, we could try it against different bacterial proteins, for example, as a starter and see what happens and see whether you can, you know, maybe try to focus into other bacterial infections. That would be really interesting, I reckon. If Definitely. It, if it ends up being successful. Is there other researchers in your lab looking at other bacterial infections? Um, in my particular lab, we're mostly focused into urinary tract infections, but mm-hmm. there's other uh, labs that are working with other infections as well. And because they produce these antibodies, are they particularly resistant to diseases? Because I've grown up hearing that, oh, like sharks have these anti-cancerous properties. Is all of that true? Yeah, I also grew up listening like sharks don't get cancer and sharks don't age and all these sort of things. Mm-hmm. And I really don't dare say, you know, no, sharks don't get cancer. There's definitely reports that say elasmobranchs have low incidence of cancers. And there was a paper that came out earlier this year about great white sharks. Mm-hmm. And what they did on that paper, it was really interesting. They pretty much uh, decoded the whole genome of great white sharks. And what they discovered is that the genome of these sharks is pretty much full of wound healing and genome stability genes. Talking about cancer, for example, which is what everyone says, sharks don't get cancer. Mm -hmm. Cancer is pretty much triggered when there's genomic instability Mm -hmm. or meaning an accumulation of high frequency genomic mutations meaning there's DNA damage, meaning that uh, there's a lack of genome integrity or genome integrity is compromised. And the fact that the sharks, at least gray white sharks, have all these wound healing and genome stability genes means that even though they may be able to get cancer because they've got all these wound healing and genome stability genes, that means that, you know, cancer 
couldn't go any further or tumors can be diminished in their proliferation. I guess, okay, in yeah. a sense, yes, we can say, even though maybe they can or they're prone to getting a little bit of cancer, it's not as bad as it would be in humans, which I reckon it's amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I think it's uh, a result of their environment and the conditions that they deal with. I know white sharks in particular, when they reproduce, the male will bite onto the female and that can be quite a, a large wound on the great white. So I feel like they've adapted this ability to heal themselves quite efficiently. Yeah, exactly. And I read another study once where they said that they realized that there were many female sharks that would get closer to coastal areas. Mm-hmm. And they believed in that particular study that I read that it was precisely because of that, because males tend to get really aggressive during mating season. Mm-hmm. So then females try to flee away from the male sharks and they do that by getting towards coastal areas mm-hmm. so shallower areas where hopefully males won't follow <laughs> that's really interesting and it's funny because the females are actually larger in <laughs> in general than the, the males yeah the they could actually beat them up but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah mm-hmm. i reckon evolutionary speaking sharks are just these marvelous organisms and they probably have all these mutations that they had over millions and millions of years that have just given them the advantage. Yeah, definitely. How far away do you believe treatment is for antibodies for treating UTIs? So in our particular case, as I mentioned before, we started from a pool of many different shark antibodies, and now Mm -hmm. we have recognized a couple of them that are specifically binding to the particular bacterial protein that Mm -hmm. we're trying to block. Mm -hmm. And At the moment, what we're doing is just making sure that the specific shark antibodies that we're working with are actually blocking the functions. At the point where we're doing some biological assays where we are trying to see a disruption in the function of the protein. So it's, in a sense, a fairly straightforward assay, what we're trying. So this Mm -hmm. protein that we're working with, it sits on the surface of bacteria and it pretty much allows the formation of bacterial aggregates and biofilms, mm-hmm. which is the first stage of a urinary tract infection. Bacteria form all these massive communities, and then they attach to the urinary tract. And once they do that, they live in an environment that is fairly protected for them, and you cannot really kill them with anything. It's really hard for them to detach from the urinary tract and just be destroyed. So if the shark antibodies are actually binding anywhere where these proteins are binding together, then we would expect to not see any aggregates or biofilms developing. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the shark antibody isn't binding in any specific region that could potentially block this interaction, then we would definitely see aggregates or biofilms. We are probably years away from attempting to do any clinical trial, for example, or trying to develop this any further. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, if we can see any disruption in the biological function, that would be a really good first step to keep moving towards that direction. Awesome. And are there any known negatives surrounding the application of antibodies? Uh, As in shark antibodies in humans? Yeah, yeah, just any concern using shark antibodies? Is there any negative around something antibodies do? 
when I came to Australia, I was discussing with um, some people from, from the Shark Antibodies Lab once, and basically what they were telling me is that when they started working with them, many questions arose around how do you know there won't be a negative effect when you yeah. put something from an organism, which is not even a mammal, it's a fish, into a human, and what if there's any side effect, and how do you know there won't be any any problems, I guess, derived from that. So what they did, which is a really smart technique that is being done in many places now, mm -hmm. is to humanize these shark antibodies. So yep. pretty much what you do is you use a human antibody as a scaffold, and then you take the part of the shark antibody that you're interested in, and you design it in a way that you are going to put it into this human antibody and therefore you end up with a human antibody that has all the shark properties that you're after. So in that sense, you minimize any potential problems that could actually happen with something from a different organism into a human. Yeah, that makes sense. So say you're able in a couple of years to find odds to successfully use these antibodies. What's the next stage then? Do you approach big pharmaceutical companies to put it out there to treat all UTIs? Like, have you thought about like the next stages in your lab group? Yeah, if everything worked okay and everything looked promising enough, then I guess you would definitely have to approach some sort of sponsor or somebody who would be able to fund this research any further mm -hmm. into clinical trials and who would also have the economic power to probably develop a product out of it. Mm -hmm. So there's some shark antibodies, either say, that have already reached the clinical trial phase, mm -hmm. at least from the lab that I'm working with here at the university. I'm pretty sure they have already developed one against fibrosis yep. and it has already reached uh, clinical trials so that's something really promising and that's also really good because it also brings the whole shark antibody technology yeah. into the spotlight yeah definitely i think that's a really good sign as well that they've also reached clinical stage for treating other illnesses is there any worry say if it is really successful and it blows up and Everyone finds out that sharks are the best cure for bacterial infections and all of that. Is there any concern people try to harvest sharks or they'll specifically target sharks? Yeah, I was thinking just about this the other day because I was thinking, I guess it would be really nice if you can show people sharks from a different perspective if you can you know tell them look sharks could be useful for you so you don't really need to be scared of them which i guess is the main issue always that many people tend to be really scared of sharks and therefore develop this sort of hatred towards them and then you know they don't really care whether they're overfished or killed or cold or whatever happens to them so i thought maybe this would be really nice if they think okay well sharks are in a sense, doing something good for me <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or definitely. to treat any disease that I could potentially get. So we should probably all be friends. But yeah. um, every time someone says something about any organism, there will always be a group of people who will just try to get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a concern that could definitely be relevant in the future if they just became more popular, that mm -hmm. 
someone could start trying to harvest sharks or overfishing sharks just for the main purposes of trying to extract their antibodies. Hopefully, though, because it's a process that I don't think you can easily do at home. <laughs> Hopefully, people won't go out thinking that they can just grab a shark and get the antibodies and that's it. They're going to cure themselves from any disease they may have. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just hope that they don't think, oh, yeah, now just cook them up and there you go. Perfect. Have some shark antibodies. Yeah. <laughs> Make a smoothie with it in the morning. And then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's all you need. Yeah. No, it doesn't work like that. So <laughs> no. nobody, please, just, just don't go out and fish sharks no, for the no, sake, you need, of, you for need the sake an, of this. Yeah, you need another poetry environment. People need to know. Apart from antibodies and sharks, is there also anything else you would be interested in studying, especially for the benefits of humans? Uh, I've invested so many years of my life into the whole shark antibody um, mm -hmm. area that I think I'm just very invested in them. I know the other research groups that are doing neurobiology studies to try to understand uh, sharks from that point of view and then try to see how they act of any particular element that they may have that could be beneficial for humans. Mm -hmm. And I met some people a couple of years ago who were doing some work with the spine of the, of the animals. Yep. And they were trying to study regeneration and all these sort of things. That, that was not in sharks itself. It was in Chimera. Yep, so it wasn't much. really yep. elasmobranchi. It was... Holocephaly, <laughs> but uh, uh, artilaginous fish in the end. Yeah, and exactly. what they were doing is they were just trying to understand regeneration processes in these animals to try to see whether they can translate that in human regeneration techniques mm -hmm. for, you know, prosthetic limbs or for regenerations without having to get into the point where you need a prosthetic limb. So I thought that was really interesting. And to be honest, I really, really like the research that I'm doing at the moment. And I think I really like it because I figure it's really relevant. But mm -hmm. one of the main things that made me get into it was the whole part of working with shark antibodies. Mm -hmm. So I think if I'm honest with you, I would just be happy to keep working with sharks. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. If, if I could just find any other area of research where I can just keep working with sharks and at the same time try to find something that benefits humans, I would definitely be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> this is my final question, Gabby. If you could get one message out there about sharks and the ocean in general, what would that be? What everyone should know regarding the ocean is that we just need to look after it. I think we underestimate how important the ocean and sharks are for the planet and our whole existence. And I think if we all actually understood what a major role both the oceans and sharks play for humans, we would probably be more worried to look after them and make sure that they're fine. Many of us are really, really scared of sharks. And as I said before, that just means that you're not really able to establish a connection with that animal. And at the same time, if you cannot really establish a connection, you don't really care about the well-being of that particular organism. So I just really think that everyone needs to understand that sharks are massively important for the survival of us, even though that may sound really dramatic, they are. And once we fully understand that, and also we fully understand that sharks are not really a killing machine that is just waiting in the ocean with its mouth open <laughs> for you to jump in the water, and they just 
living their life, being apex predators, keeping the balances in the oceans, then maybe everyone will look after them or start caring about them more. And then hopefully both the oceans and sharks will be able to thrive. Absolutely. Look after the ocean and sharks. That's all I need to say. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all that needs to be said. And that's what people need to take is look after the ocean and look after sharks. All right, well, thanks, Gabby, for coming on the show and telling us all about shark antibodies and all the exciting things that can happen in the future. Yeah, no, thank you so much for inviting me. And, yeah, this was a great experience, and I really hope everyone enjoys just listening about this whole shark antibodies area. <laughs> and, chums, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. For me... It was very alarming to hear Gabby mention that by 2050, more people will die from bacterial infections per year than patients with, say, cancer or HIV. I hope today you were able to learn a bit about her research about shark antibodies and how they could in future be used as an alternative treatment. I'll be sharing Gabby's research and work online, so make sure to check out the Murky Waters podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. This podcast is created by Michael Heltzinger, but it wouldn't happen without your support. So thank you guys for listening today. Please share the podcast around, and if you want to be jawsome, subscribe to the podcast with Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, anything, feel free to send me a message, and please, please leave a review. It only takes a couple of seconds and it'd be fantastic to hear what you think. Thank you to Orofen. You guys are legends and everyone else who has helped out so far. And finally, a last Kiora to Gabby, our exceptional guest today. Thanks, Gabby, for coming on the show and sharing some of the really important research that you're doing. We wish you the best of luck with your study. Take care, people, of both yourselves and the planet, and I'll see you next episode. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.